team, this episode is dedicated to the life of Marcella Monterulli, who passed away two days ago. I'm lucky to have known her. We spent Sunday mornings together for a year in a basement of a 200-year-old church handing out orders of service. And I needed her there. I only cared about having enough people to pass out the collection plate during the services. And she'd come. An hour early for years. It was in those early hours I got to know her, to witness the mind and life of an era of our city I could only watch in a movie. She was Italian by marriage and Italian by spirit. She was a true New Yorker. You know, in COVID, we don't have the ways to honor those we've lost, but I'm grateful to have this platform and a chance to reflect on our mornings and how I'll remember her life. For me, life when you're 80 seemed so far away. Just so old and removed from what I consider living. But I've got to spend enough mornings in the basement of that church to realize, yes, there is so much life that has been lived, and yet there are still dreams that remain, which means that death is hard. But the lesson of dreams still remaining, no matter what age you are, is a lesson I'm most grateful to have received, and I'll remember that. So Marcella, thank you for your friendship, encouragement, being kind to the people I care about, and partnering with the work God is doing on the earth. You were asked in a thousand ways to respond to the world with kindness and compassion, and you did. Let me start with our closing benediction. Christ has no body now, but ours. A saint said this, quoting a knockoff Hallmark card they bought on sale at CVS after Christmas for 79 cents. Christ has no body now but ours, an overwritten cursive like mass-produced letters with meager intentions and lackluster laser quality. It sits knocked over on its side next to another that confesses that all I want for Christmas is Grogu. Christ has no body now but ours. The saint, Teresa of Avila, repeats this three times. Christ has no hands, Christ has no feet, Christ has no eyes, save for ours, to do good, to see. Ours are the hands which bless all the world. This all may be true, regardless of the quality of the cursive or the resolution of the printing. 
Truth is like a Christmas card. It's actually never out of season. If truth is truth, it should be timeless. If truth is truth, and the Christmas card is true, Grogu actually is never not the reason for the season. All I want for Christmas is Grogu. Christ has no body enough but ours. These are truths that belong on a Christmas card. Even if they're truths that are stuffed in a junk drawer, palled upon, and forgotten. Christ having no hands now but ours makes some sense. If Christ's last command was for us to eat his body and drink his blood, he needs us to have some bread, and communion bread cannot make itself. Proudly, we, the daughters and sons of God with Instagram, have perfected sourdough bread in this pandemic year of our Lord, 2021. The pandemic needed our hands to be God's hands. The person with dreadlocks doing American Sign Language at a press conference is, in a sentimental sense, the love of God in action. Think of essential workers, sign carriers. These are God's hands in bold action. My hands are not essential, and I do not know American Sign Language, but I did write a song for the guitar in open D tuning two weeks ago. If you enjoy a melancholy song, just assume God wrote this song and wrote it just for you. Christ having no feet now but ours makes some sense too. Christ, of course, is everywhere. A Christ does not need to necessarily go from point A to point B in a linear way, and I don't know if Christ is better off having taken 10,000 steps in a day. But as far as I can tell, feet have two real purposes in the kingdom of God. One, feet keep rhythm. Feet tap the time during a performance of hallelujah at an open mic. When I'm on the train and I can't hear what someone is playing or listening for themselves, I look at their feet tapping and get some ideas. Second, feet leave footprints in the sand and more importantly for me, feet leave footprints in the snow. Snow is not shoveled in my section of Queens. A foot of snow becomes a foot of ice before 6 a.m., but the mayor is not going to shut down the schools and we're all walking to the bus stop. There would be no way to get through except for the steps that were taken before the freeze. There were beef and broccoli Timberland boots walking to the bodega to grab some Modellos the night before so they could watch the snow fall from the window. How little did they know how important those footprints would be. That's what makes them God's footprints. Christ having no eyes now but ours makes some sense. Christ, of course, is everywhere, and for better or for worse, should be able to see everything happening in all places. Christ having no need for eyes 
provokes what the scriptures call the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not a concept of the Hebrew Bible that gets much play in 2021, but practically it just means that every moment matters. Every moment matters to God and recognizing that provokes a type of fear that either becomes awareness, an opportunity, or loathing and worry. Depending on your level of righteousness or ratchetness, God's eyes are fearful enough all by themselves. But eyes have two real purposes the Almighty can make use of. If you were God and you created a million universes and call them all good, you would probably want more than just one bird's eye cosmic view. Currently, Christ has 14 billion perspectives on creation. Christ needs eyes like Americans needed cable in the late 90s. All the channels, all the time. If Teresa of Avila is correct, Christ has no body now but ours. Which is less romantic than the sate intended. Black, of course, is beautiful. And as they say, the blacker the savior, the sweeter the truth. But I'm balding and have a beard with patches. Which means Christ has no beard now, but mine. Mine is the beard of our Lord. Glory to his mane. This sounds sacrilegious. I don't mean it to be sacrilegious. I'm really just being practical from the theological perspective. In this metaphorical invocation of St. Teresa, it's worth acknowledging that the notion that Christ has no body now but ours assumes that at some point, Christ had a body for himself. Semantically speaking, sure. Historians conclude that Jesus of Nazareth had a body for 33 years. That body was crucified for sedition by Roman colonizers. It's possible that body had a beard plucked as foretold by the Hebrew Bible's messianic prophet Isaiah. Jesus of Nazareth has no body now, and therefore no beard. It probably had a good run. Semantically speaking, from a theological perspective, the Christ resurrected from the dead. Christ, Emmanuel, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world back on earth in a body that hypothetically could have been filmed on an iPhone. Christ having no beard now but ours asserts that 40 days is long enough to grow a beard. Which is absolutely true. One could get a beard by 4 p.m genetically speaking. We'll have to check with the Virgin Mary's dad, but 40 days is not long enough to really groom it and trim it and take all the vitamins and the pills and the oils it takes to come from the dead and transcend into the heavens looking like Aslan, the lion from the tribe of Judah. Christ is alive, which is the important thing, Christ has all glory and honor and power and dominion 
but a beard not really worth mentioning. Which is why God has no beard now but mine. Which is unfortunate. Because, sure, we can call this a beard. But technically, I really just have hair on my face. I am letting hair grow on my face. And it's nothing like we would want our God reigning to have. I want to be objective. I'm not great with right and left because right and left feel subjective depending on the angle that you're seeing something from. Still, I believe that most people would agree that my left side of my face is the good side of my beard. Maybe not good, but definitely better. My beard is a literally coach telling his shortstop, good job, good effort. But the right side of my face, that beard is not trying. It's a collection of dragonfly legs playing golf along patches along my conceptual double jawline. It's the side terrified by the prospect that I can grow up to be the black man of God I was destined to be with a luscious mane and amazing vocabulary. But of course, the right side of my face knows that no one man should have so much power. My right cheek is keeping me humble. God has no beard now but mine, which is unfortunate because maybe Christ didn't have to ascend to the heavens so fast. Christ could have stuck around, done a few miracles, grown a beard for himself, and left me with decent skin and a double chin. But that isn't an option. St. Teresa has gotten her way. And this beard is this way for reasons I cannot explain because who was I in my grandfather's genetic womb? My beard is on my face and it can only be grown in public. I cannot hibernate for six months, rub rogaine before I go to bed and emerge looking like Rick Ross. That's not possible. When I decided to grow a beard, I was committing my face to one full of patches and there is no replacing that path. Growing a beard in public is disconcerting because I have lived a full life without a beard and my life was fine. My face is fine. It was good enough to put on my college website to make other people of color feel like they could be welcomed. My face has kissed a girl. My face is fine enough. This beard is a net negative on what was a neutral face. By growing a beard in public, I have traded acceptance in the economy of competence for a noticeable irregularity. There are faces with beards that are on my college websites and kiss more girls. These are the faces I aspire to have. But I do not have that face. I am not in college. I kiss no one. But this beard is the beard of me trying. I cannot have a beard without it, but I cannot have a beard without trying first.
I have to grow the spirit in public and I have to think Christ deserves better and I have to think Christ doesn't mind. There is so much out of my life I can successfully hide, even the parts I'm working on, but I cannot hide this shit. I cannot hide the patches. I cannot hide that I forgot to oil this beard and I cannot hide all the thousand little reminders that I am not Rick Ross. I am so not Rick Ross. I get close up to the mirror and pray and convince myself maybe today is the day I can go real close to the mirror and see a sliver of a thing that maybe one day will become a thing I can show off and sell on a college brochure one day. All I really want is one little butterfly leg to show up where there is none. Sure, I'm a smart guy. I can find the angles in a photo to make you think maybe something nice is happening in my face. You just stay six feet away and you keep thinking that. But of course, Eventually, you're going to want to get close. And I'm going to want to wish you weren't so close. Which is why I never stroke my beard. I only stroke the places where the patches are. Because those are the places I'm thinking about. There is no other way for a beard to emerge except for the patches. And this is where, despite all of the self-loathing and the insecurity, I can find just a glimmer of inspiration in what happens when what is good in your life is not an outcome you can control, but one, you let opportunity take over and you see what can happen just from trying. In an article with Pitchfork titled Fiona Apple on how she broke free and made the album of the year, Fiona Apple describes the process of creating her sixth album, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. She says, I was trying to learn how to be a better musician while making this record. I was recording myself trying. I wasn't practicing and then recording. I was recording myself while I was trying to get it right. But I liked the way it sounded when I was trying. It felt like a real documentation of what was going on. It felt more honest. And beyond that, I cannot achieve perfection. I just can't. There is a level of competence Fiona Apple has accrued in her life and career musically. A competent Fiona Apple would be leaning into her jazz training and making jazz records of Frank Sinatra covers every three years. She would make some royalties she would get played in some commercials. She would have a fine musical life because we like jazz and we like Frank Sinatra. Her competence then would be its own reward. But it is in 
her trying and failing and recording while practicing this growing of your beard in public that releases the residue of a supernatural life. Fiona Apple is a vessel of the glory of God because she makes space in her competency for doubt and silliness and uncertainty. Fetch the bolt cutters is an achievement because it succeeds for a reason she could not have banked on and we could not have anticipated. There may come a time when my beard's patches are all gone. I'll just be another handsome guy with a handsome beard. Let me sell your college brochure. Give me a dash of cologne. Give me a kiss or two. That will be its own reward. Because no one will ever mention me and my beard again. Because I will have a competent face and the acceptance of my competent face will be its own reward. But life begins to feel supernatural when we begin to release our weaknesses in public. Competence is its own reward. Affirmation is its own reward. A picture of a beach with a thousand likes on Instagram is its own reward. Your life feels entirely just fine when the parts you like are the things you put on display. Life is beautiful and living competently is so fun. Certainty competence they're their own reward but god cannot get the glory out of the outcomes you decide you're comfortable with life starts to feel supernatural when the parts you can't decide are the parts you put out for people to see because in our weakness we are asking god to make our feeble hands his own we're asking God to make our beards or our businesses or our families, the families, the businesses of God for the purposes of God. Listen, patches are patches no matter if you see them or not. I could remove my mirror from the bathroom. The patches on my beard do not change. And so if I'm upset, it's not in the awareness of what my beard is like. I think it's just that I thought I'd be further along by now. And that's what bothers me. I think 2020 and the pandemic revealed just how far we have left to go. We have paraded the glory of a beard that is filled with holes and finally it's been exposed. And I personally have the time and the space and the reality to look at my life and all the things I thought I could be proud of. And now I think to myself, wow, I thought I was further along than this. But here in these moments, I'm reminded that the glory of the beard, the glory of the business, the glory of the country was never to be shared with me at all. The grace upon my life is only in that my weakness redirects to the miracle of being me. Because my 2020 isn't a celebration of what I'm competent in. It's a celebration of the places where I let you see where I was trying. And while certainty is its 
own reward. God cannot get the glory out of outcomes I decided were good enough. God, you get the glory out of my beard. God, you get the glory out of this podcast. God, you get the glory out of my church. God, you get the glory out of my country because we see the weakness of them and yet we are humbled by the chance Christ, you would make them all your own. I don't know what Jesus of Nazareth's beard was like. But we know this from the Apostle Paul. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through his hands, through his feet, through his highs, through his obedience, all things are reconciled to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus Christ is not a celebration of human competence. There is no kingship, no throne, no status, no riches, ethnicity or certainty, no race, no translation no nationality, that Jesus hitched his reconciling mission upon. In fact, it is through the meekness, through the weakness, through the ordinariness of his people, the fullness of God is pleased to dwell because there is nothing distracting from the glory of God upon him. This is why Paul concludes, for in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell because we cannot accrue enough competence for God's glory to find a place to feel comfortable. Life is a waste if you wait to garner and accrue enough ability and confuse that for grace or favor. God is looking for eyes and hands and feet for glory to be revealed. The fullness of God is pleased to dwell in your eyes, in your hands, in your feet, in your beards with patches, because that competence is not about your identity or your failures. It's about the glory of God having a place to shine.